The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, dads, granddads, great-granddads, or dog parents like me. Yeah, I'm going to try to tuck myself into this whole Father's Day thing, even though you know mere dog ownership probably doesn't deserve it. But hey, I want to be part of the day, too. Happy Father's Day to everybody. I'm excited. Once I am done recording this, uh, having this conversation with you guys, I am heading straight to my dad's house with my two brothers and my sister, all of our wives, the nieces and nephews. We're all going to daddy-o's house for a little Father's Day barbecue. We're very, very excited about it. The whole family is super stoked. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to brag, but... My dad is the ultimate grill master, and we're having some barbecue, and it's going to be delicious. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, no, my dad's a pretty good griller, too. No, you shut your damn mouth. All right, nobody's better on the grill than my old man. It's going to be fantastic. And for all of you guys, I hope everybody here has a happy, happy Father's Day. And so I'm just excited to, you know, once I get this episode done, to have some fun with the family. It's going to be great. I'm excited for this day. Um, but I'm also excited for this episode. Don't get me wrong. I am not looking ahead to the Father's Day festivities for he- ahead. I am here. I am now. And I'm excited for what we got going on right, right now. But first, some housekeeping. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast if you love what we do around here. And if you love it half as much as I love doing it, then you must really love it. So how can you show your love to us? Rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Throw us a rating. uh, Give us a nice, friendly five-star, a quintella of stars review um, on our various platforms on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, You can also throw us some subscriptions. Uh, The subscriptions really help. I mean, you never know when on Sunday this episode's coming out. Sometimes I get it out at like 1 o'clock, sometimes 4, 5, 6 o'clock, whenever it is. Don't you don't want to have to keep refreshing because I, I imagine that's what you're all doing is you're just sitting there on Sundays waiting with bated breath constantly hif- hitting F5 on your computer until the podcast shows up. Don't don't do that to yourself. I don't want you to have to suffer. So subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Let us be one of the many wonderful podcasts that I'm sure you subscribe to because you have fantastic taste. And we'll just be right there for you on Sunday when you're ready to listen to us or maybe you listen to us later in the week, whatever it is. Thank you very much. Uh, throw us some contacts, too. I love hearing from you guys. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan, K-A-I-R. You can follow my co-host, at uh, MetalDave85. He's not here because he's, you know, it's Father's Day, and he's actually spending time with his family because he's a better son than I am, but we're not going to talk about that. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash business. And my favorite way of getting in touch with us, I mean, all this newfangled social media, who doesn't love a good old-fashioned email? Email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And when you email us, you can tell us what you think of the show, if we're doing a good job, if we're doing a bad job, whatever it is, let us know. But most importantly, if you have questions for us, if there's something going on in your music career that you want maybe our advice on, our thoughts on, if there's a particular topic that's salient in your music career and you want to just have Dave and I talk about it on an episode, Email us. Let us know about it. We're here to make this show as best as it can be for you. This is a free service for you, the listener, and you, the indie artist, to help you move your career forward and take advantage of that. We, it's hard coming up with content. So frankly, if you can come to us with content ideas that you want us to talk about, we both win as far as I'm concerned. I don't have to work. You get more of what you want. It's a win-win situation, baby. So that's, that's my humble request to you. And if you want us to talk a little bit about pop culture, too, because we love talking about the pop culture. Law gets boring talking about that all day. And if there's, if there's something going on in pop culture that you want uh, talked about on the show, we appreciate those suggestions as well. The audiobook's coming out eventually. I'm so, so sorry that it's not out yet. We're still waiting for Amazon to review it, and that's all I'm going to say about that because it's super, super depressing. Our guest this week, this is not depressing, Bruce Warzniak. This guy is awesome. He's a manager. He's a promoter blogger and the founder of now hear this and the host of the now hear this entertainment podcast 
This guy interviews so many fantastic people in the music industry. He's a great blogger, too. Most people know him from his podcast, but I love his blog. The blog's super underrated. Great advice from him. Very insightful, very interesting reads, funny reads. He's got a lot of cool stuff going on. And we're going to get some advice from him in the next segment. As soon as I you know, stop knocking my microphone around, we're going to get some advice from him in the next segment about booking gigs for yourself and something that I've always wanted to ask him about, which is just making the most of your live performances once you have the gig, once you're in the room, once you're communicating with your fans and playing your music. What do you do during your live shows to help build your fan base out, to help move your career forward? Because getting the gig is just the start. What do you do once you have it? And Bruce is going to talk to us about all that stuff. Again, you can check out his podcast, Now Hear This Entertainment. It is a very, very worthy listen, and you're going to really love him in the next segment. Uh, but before we get into him, he's waiting for us, but we got to uh, kind of kind of talk about a couple things going on in the news that I think are interesting for indie artists. It's been a crazy week uh, in the music industry. I mean, it's it's always such a... A hot and cold thing when it comes to indie music news, in my experience. There will be some weeks where it just seems like there's nothing going on. And I'll let you in on a little secret, listeners. You know a week where I can't find anything good to talk about if all I'm doing is I'm giving you the article of, like, five things to make your uh, website better. Like, if I'm just, if I'm just you know, talking about some article, some listicle that I find somewhere, that means it's a slow week for indie music. I'm letting you peek behind the curtain. But then you have weeks like this week, man, where everything comes flying at you. There's so much big news, so much stuff to talk about that we, it's an embarrassment of riches. And this is an embarrassment of riches week for you, the listener. And so let's enjoy that large S. First off, let's talk about Spotify, because who, you know, they're always making the news for one thing or another. There was an article in Recode recently that recently discussed Spotify's financial filings that came out uh, June 15th, I believe. It was the morning of the 15th. And there were a few pieces in that report that were really interesting and have particularly important implications for indie musicians. And I want to take those implications and break them down into the good news, the bad news, and the ugly news. And all of these things, I want you to consider them as an indie artist. I want you to think about what they mean and maybe give some thought to how Spotify will factor into your music career. And that's a decision we all have to make as, as artists separately. I can't point you in the right direction here. For some artists, Spotify is the way to go. It's a significant revenue stream for them. It is the future for their music. Other artists, it might not work for you. It just won't. And you have to consider other revenue streams. But my responsibility, the way I see it, is to give you as much facts as I can, to let you know what's going on, to give you some of my thoughts on the matter, and you make the decision that's best for your music career. So first, the good news for indie artists. And this is legitimately good news. As much as we love to hate on Spotify around here, this is good news because there has been some questions about whether Spotify can grow, whether there is a whether the ceiling on Spotify's revenue is low or high. Can this be something that actually brings in money? And the answer seems to be yes. And that's good for indie artists because if Spotify is making money, ostensibly you, the indie artist, can make money from Spotify too. And Spotify's revenue, according to these uh, June 15th reports, have go has gone up over 50% in the past year. This is a good thing. It's suggesting that the market is changing and streaming is becoming a viable revenue stream for musicians. And I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but a lot of that growth in revenue is coming from people who were once free subscribers, the ones who were just getting the ad-supported uh, subscriptions, which artists don't make very much from those, and they're becoming paid subscribers. We're getting a lot more paid subscribers, people who are actually putting hard-earned greenbacks into this system and those paid subscribers mean more dollars for you, the artist, and we're getting a lot more of those. So this is encouraging news. And I don't think we've hit the ceiling yet. I think there's a lot more growth for Spotify to be had. There are a lot of more potential customers out there. There's still a lot more training of the marketplace, so to speak, as more people will begin to transition to becoming streaming consumers as opposed to download or you know, buying CDs in the CD store consumers are still like three or four or five of those out there. And that's a good thing for artists because it, we can, we might be able to make this Spotify thing viable for you. That's the good news. I've buttered you up. Now I got to give you the bad news. And 
I've always been told the best way to do good news, bad news is to give the bad news first so that person can be showered in good news at the end. And I've already screwed that up. Totally sorry. Here we go. Bad news. Even though Spotify's bringing in more money, they are still not even close to being profitable. My goodness. Uh, the they they are just just red ink all over the place, just dripping out of Spotify's windows of its expensive New York high-rise, just red ink. So unprofitable this company. It's its balance sheet is an embarrassment or its income statement is an embarrassment. Its financials are a joke. And so what I think is important for you as artists to look into is why is Spotify not profitable? Because that can help you make some decisions about how you want to exploit your music going forward. So let's look at the revenues. It was a good year for Spotify revenue-wise. We talked about that. They're, you know, their revenue's grown 50%. More customers are coming in, but they're still hemorrhaging money. The problem is not in the revenue. It's in their overhead. Their overhead is, is still... It's still a very inefficient, very fat company. I mean, and, and you can tell by looking at the financials. When you look at Spotify's gross margin, and when I mean gross margin, I'm talking about its revenue, so the money it's bringing in from all of the people subscribing to Spotify, minus what is known as the cost of goods sold. And so basically what that means is how much is Spotify bringing in in revenue minus how much of that revenue do they have to pay to rights holders? And then, you know, what's left is the margin. And it's when you look at Spotify's margin, it's still in the black. It's still making money. You know, when you look at how much Spotify is bringing in revenue minus what it's paying out to rights holders, such as artists like you and record labels and publishing companies, they're still in the black to the tune of about half a billion dollars. So there's a lot of margin there. Here's the problem. When you then add in the overhead costs salaries, marketing, equipment, property, plants, buildings, insurance, all the fixed costs that are not just paying out money to rights holders, that half a billion dollar profit of Spotify's becomes nearly a half a billion dollar loss for the company. They were way in the black. So basically Spotify's in the red because they're not running themselves well. Their overhead is a joke. Spotify is too fat. And unless they can learn how to streamline the operation, you know, the business model, and, and granted, you know, I, I'm not an expert when it comes to the internal operations of a streaming business. You know, I'm not the CEO of Spotify, but it seems to me that when your model is just getting music and paying that music to rights holders, it shouldn't be a complicated overhead structure. You know, it seems like a lot of that should be computerized. It shouldn't take a lot of man hours. It, it shouldn't take giant buildings in New York City like Spotify has. It's doing its shareholders and it's doing artists a disservice by having way more overhead than it needs. And here's the problem. And now we get to the ugly news when it comes to indie artists. Spotify, according to these filings, are look like they're trying to fix this financial problem by bending over backwards to hang on to their major label rights holders. And in the process, they're giving these major labels way too much. So Spotify is in the red. They know that they don't want to lose the major labels because those are the ones that are giving them a lot of music and people want the major label songs. They want their, you know, Drake songs and their Taylor Swift songs and all that stuff. And so they don't, and so Spotify doesn't want to lose the major labels. And so they're giving the major labels way too much money. Uh, Spotify, according to Spotify's filings, they've already agreed to give Universal and Merlin, Merlin's a sort of consortium of independent record labels, minimum guaranteed payments of $2 billion. And, are, and that's not even including the minimum payments that Spotify is planning to give to Sony and Warner Music once those new deals are set up. Now, here's the problem with that. Spotify payments to artists are a pie. There is a finite amount of money that's coming in in the subscriber revenue. And the bigger is that the slices that are given to major labels in the form of these guaranteed payments. So these aren't payments based on how many times these songs are streamed. Just we're going to give you a minimum amount. And it's going to be this month much. And the higher you make those minimum payments, the more money you're agreeing to give to the major labels simply because they're major labels the less pie is left for 
indie artist. The less money that is left for the DIY musicians. This is wrong. This is anti-competitive. It's unfair. It's un-American. All artists need to be on the same playing field with these, these streaming services or streaming will never be a viable model. We all need to be paid the same by Spotify. It's, and be, especially as the industry is going to change, as more artists are going to go indie, we can't, we can't have these anti-competitive behaviors or, or Spotify is never going to be a hospitable place for the indie artist. And who knows? Maybe legislation is needed here. Maybe we have to do, maybe the Congress has to step in and do something to make sure that you're not giving a sweetheart deal to record labels and treating some rights holders differently than other rights holders. You need to have some kind of, you know, net neutrality. (laughs) We talked about net neutrality a couple uh, episodes ago on this podcast and talked about how, you know, it it would be wrong to treat some websites differently or for internet service providers to treat some websites differently than other websites. We shouldn't be treating rights holders differently in the world of Spotify. So, we have to, this, perhaps we need some legislation. We need to fight against this somehow. And in the meantime, perhaps artists need to make themselves open to other models to fund their careers because maybe Spotify works for you and maybe it doesn't and maybe things will change unless Spotify is willing to make the environment more fair for everybody. But perhaps we can't depend on Spotify to run itself effectively and in a way that's fair to indie artists. And so other models need to be explored. And... That's gotten me thinking about Patreon a lot more lately. I've, I've always been a fan of theirs, and I mean they've just really been on the brain in general. And I want to talk about Patreon here before we bring in Bruce Warzniak because they've been in the lo- news a lot this week as well. And so I've been thinking a lot about Patreon because of what's been going on with Spotify and you know its financial situation and how it's giving these sweetheart deals to the major labels. And how maybe artists should be looking at alternative models out there. And another reason I've been looking into thinking about Patreon a lot lately, and this is more of a uh, personal thing, but I figure I'll bring it up with you, is um, one of my favorite YouTube shows is now has a Patreon page. And so I kind of want to throw him a plug here because he's awesome. And he has, and by the way, he has nothing to do with music, but I do want to talk about this person on uh but before we do, let me just quickly explain what Patreon is because I feel like there are some people who are like, what's Patreon? Patreon is a crowdfunding site. But unlike Kickstarter or Pledge Music where basically your fans just pledge for you to create an album or go on a tour or do some big project, Patreon is more ongoing crowdfunding. So basically, you have a group of fans, your patrons, who will pay you a dollar for every song you write or for every YouTube video you make, or you do more of like a monthly thing where it's a dollar for every month that you create content. And what it does is it gives artists an ongoing stream of income. It lets you, it gives you a constant stream of revenue that's not just big project based, and you can actually run your life and pay your rent. And and perhaps this model could be one that is more hospitable to the way that web creators work and the way DIY artists work. And it's a model that I've really come to appreciate for indie artists. But anyway, before we talk about that, I wanted to plug uh, this podcast, uh, this uh, new guy who's on Patreon now, Movies with Mikey. Uh, Mikey Nauman is the guy who creates it. Again, this has nothing to do with music. I just love this guy and I want to throw him a plug. So Movies with Mikey is this YouTube video series that this guy does. Uh, he is a film buff, but I feel like calling him a film buff doesn't even do this guy justice. He's a film genius. He should be teaching film at a college. Uh, and what he does is he just, he takes some movie and he picks a new movie like every week or every couple weeks and just does his deep dive analysis in it and talks about why this movie is worth appreciating. And unlike most stuff on the internet about movies that just loves bashing movies, his is a celebration of film. He appreciates film and he'll take movies that I think I really know and understand and appreciate on every level. And he'll get me looking at that movie in a completely new way. And he just did one on Logan, the Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart movie that came out, the X-Men, whatever. And I thought I had a pretty good idea of what that movie was about. And I, then I watched his movies with Mikey and it gave me a completely new appreciation for it. But anyway, if you love movies and you love somebody who 
and you want to like hear about movies from somebody who truly appreciates movies and get you thinking about movies in a new, funny and fun and interesting way, check out movies with Mikey. And the reason why I bring him up is because he has a Patreon page now. He recently left his day job, mostly due to an illness. Uh, and I hope, you know, he can continue to work through that because the illness he has is a particularly uh, rough one. But now he's doing movies with Mikey full time. And uh, I'm going to show it some love on Patreon, and I hope you will too. But, and then frankly, because, I mean, as, as indie musicians, it's worth it for you to give your support to indie content creators and all media. We're all in this together. We should all be supporting each other, whether you're a indie musician like you are or an indie movie buff or any kind of independent artist who's making a living in some form of media on the internet. Let's stick together. Let's band together and let's support each other. And I think Patreon's a great way to support those kind of creators. And I mean, frankly, and you know, I'll, I'll bring this up on the podcast because I think I kind of want your input on this as a listener. I've been giving some thought to the idea of expanding the format of this podcast to uh, talk about all kinds of indie content creation. So right now, this podcast has always been about indie music because I do a lot of music law and, you know, I wrote the break the business book, which is all about the indie music industry. But I, I really do enjoy talking about indie content creation in all forms of media, YouTube videos in general, web series, things, blogs, podcasts, things like that. And I think it might be more useful to you, the listener, if we brought in a wider range of guests throughout all forms of web media so that we can all learn from each other. You can learn about the best best practices from other forms of web media. And so let me know what you think of that. Email me, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Would you enjoy if we expanded the format of this podcast to encompass other forms of DIY content creation outside of music? Do you want to hear from folks in those other sectors uh, in your own music career? Because I, I think I would enjoy that. And But you know, I'm interested in what you guys think. Anyway, it was something that I was thinking about. Let me know what you think about it. But I want to talk about the second reason that I've been thinking about. Actually, the third reason I've been thinking about Patreon a lot lately. The first reason is that mess that's been going on with Spotify, and it's getting me thinking about other funding models for artists. The second reason is my boy Movies with Mikey, and uh, I hope that show continues to succeed because it rocks. And now this other reason I've been thinking about Patreon is something that happened this past week. Patreon recently announced that it's making some really cool updates to its platform that really, I think, might sell you as an indie content creator on this platform even more. It um, So this past week, Patreon announced that it's integrating the live streaming platform Crowdcast onto Patreon, which would easily allow content creators on the site to offer live streaming rewards to its patrons. So... Basically, when you set up Patreon, the way that you get patrons to donate money to you each week is you offer them rewards. And a very common kind of reward on Patreon is if you are one of my patrons and you give X number of dollars per song, per album, per month, however you set it up, you can get access to my to live streams of me performing music or I'll do a request show or I'll, I'll do a Q&A, but it's patron only. So you got to be a patron and, and pay your monthly whatever to get me on this. So what Patreon has done is they've integrated a live streaming platform into the, into Patreon to make it more easy for you as a creator to offer that particular reward to your patrons. Really cool idea. They're also going to allow creators to release content early for patrons before it goes out to the general public, a windowing, if you will, to make it easier for creators to offer early access as a reward for patrons. And perhaps the greatest of the updates that Patreon's putting out right now is they are creating new customer relationship management tools. I know it sounds like I work for these guys. I really don't. I mean, it sounds like a commercial, but I'm just a big fan of Patreon. I think it is truly could be the future of indie content creation and in terms of being able to fund uh, creators' careers. Patreon's now going to allow creators on the site to do customer relationship management. They'll be able to sort patrons by their pledge amount, pledge length, get their email addresses. What does all this mean? Well, data is everything when it comes to making the most of who your fans are. The more you know about them, the more that you can market to them, the more that you can create a strong relationship and build a fan into a super fan. And so if you have this kind of data that Patreon is going to give you about your fans, you can communicate with them on a micro level. 
you can reach out to them and congratulate them on an anniversary of them being a Patreon, a patron of you. You can get information about who they are. You can get where they're located. You can, you know, get lots of data to help plan your marketing campaigns going forward. Data is everything. And so getting some good CRM on that platform is an exciting, exciting prospect. And so, and again, if you want to check out more about Patreon, just go to patreon.com. Um, we also did an interview a few months back where we actually interviewed Jack Conte, the CEO of Patreon. He talked a lot about his platform. Uh, you can go to breakthebusiness.com and find that interview. It's a great one. All right, don't go anywhere. Bruce Warzniak next on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is a music manager, promoter, blogger, and the host of the podcast Now Hear This Entertainment, a weekly show featuring interviews of music industry luminaries and tips for musicians and songwriters. You can support it on Patreon. You can check out his entertainment company as well as his podcast by visiting www.now-hear-this.net. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Warzniak is on the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, very much my pleasure. You are a true friend of the musician in this industry. You've dedicated your career to helping them as a promoter, as an agent, but you also give them lots of free information through your podcast, Now Hear This Entertainment. Can you walk the listeners through the broad strokes of your career that got you to where you are, where you were, to what you're doing now? Sure. Honestly, the the music portion of it evolved from having had an entire career in, I'll just call it promoting, uh, really public relations, some might say marketing, but really covering kind of all the different areas of what I call communications, which is public relations, media relations, marketing, the web and social media. And when I relocated to the part of Florida where I'm in, I was working for a non-music employer and we needed a singer for an event and just really kind of fell in love with the voice of a girl that I was hearing in church on Sundays to the point where I just approached her just out of the goodness of my heart, wanting to help because I said, if you know, if you sing outside of a church, more people should know because you have a great voice and I want to do what I can to help. And she kind of misinterpreted it, you know, thought that it was a sales pitch and right away got up her defenses. No, my dad helps me. Thank you anyways. And I don't want to say the more I persisted because it was just kind of a friendly once in a while, like, hey, I'm still around. You know, if you, if you want my help, <laughs> this is what my background is. And um, I think really the dad, <laughs> you know, Ryan, I think I think the dad probably coaxed her into saying, yes, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a realtor. Let this guy help. He's he's got the promotions background. And uh, so we started having some success. And eventually I thought, you know, this is something I can turn into a business because it was really just, like I said, applying all of the skills I already had just to a different industry. And when I had success with her, I decided I'm going to make a business of this, found another client, started having success with her. And it really just continued to grow. And here we are all these years later and, uh, you know, continuing with with Now Hear This. And, and of course, as you mentioned in the intro with, with the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. Yeah, it's a common story I hear with a lot of folks who are involved in the industry in one way or another that they already achieved success and built their professional bona fides in whatever area they're in outside of the industry. And then they just get bit by the music bug. And there's something about helping creative people reach out to the world and spread their craft with the world that can be very uh, enriching as a professional uh, work. And I guess, you know, that just led quite smoothly over to the podcast, which you have been doing for over three years, John, episode 175. Congratulations. That sounds completely insane. I can't even <laughs> like we're on 90 over here and I just can't imagine. Oh my God. That's <laughs> but well, not 90 is nothing to sneeze at. I was talking to someone yesterday 
and we were kind of talking about somebody who sort of thinks maybe they might possibly perhaps want to think about, <laughs> you know, doing a podcast. And, and the person I was speaking to said they'll end up doing four episodes uh, because unfortunately, <laughs> you know, some people I think um, podcasting is great and, and the industry has gotten a whole lot bigger than I think people realize, especially those of us on the inside who are podcasters and we know how much is truly involved. But at the same time, for those on the outside, I think they get a little too intimidated and all of a sudden they do give up after four, you know, or they, they put out one and they say, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm going to get better at it. And then it's like we're still waiting for episode two. <laughs> right. And the, I mean, at least with podcasting, you just you just have to get the reps. You have to keep doing it and you have to learn as you go. I mean, and I think that's sort of a good metaphor for a lot of things that happen in the music industry. A lot of artists are afraid of putting anything out there until they think that they have their skills at a hundred percent perfect until they've mastered everything completely and they never actually get started. It's just kind of a paralysis by analysis when really what I've seen and you know, correct me if uh, you've had a different experience with this, that for many artists, the best way to, to get better and to move your career forward is just to get out there and do it. Even if you think that what you have isn't completely perfect, you learn as you go. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, the the recording studio where I do my podcast every week, that fellow there has said for years the expression that you used, which is get the reps. And he and he says it from the standpoint of what, what you're talking about, performers. I mean, yes, it applies to podcasters too. But you know, I, I always say that I can find a handful of reasons why just getting out and performing is worth it. And I'm talking about a handful of reasons that don't even I don't even get as far down on the list as getting paid. And one of them is getting the reps. You know, another is that if you're a songwriter and you sit at home and you write all these terrific songs or these songs that you're not sure if they're terrific or not, well, the only way you're ever going to find out if anybody's liking them or not is to get out and play them somewhere. You know, mm -hmm. not to mention things like by getting out, you get some new pictures, you get some new video. Obviously, there's the age old. You never know who's going to might be who you never know who might be in the crowd. I mean, the list goes on, of you know, and yes, obviously, it's, you know, it's a chance to get paid. But people who do say, I'm not ready yet, or I just need to this, or I just need to that, just just get out there and play, would you? Well, I, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you know the great people they do things before they're ready. I think the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in and out of the music industry, just life advice that I share with as many people as possible is sometimes if you wait until you're a hundred percent ready to take an opportunity, you're going to lose that opportunity to somebody who's 80% ready and is willing to learn the rest on the job. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. And, and you know, I go to some, I go to some, I don't want to call them networking events, but just to advance the conversation, we'll use that expression. And there's someone who runs these that Oftentimes, as an icebreaker, he'll say, okay, at your table, introduce yourselves to each other and answer the question, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten in business? Uh, not necessarily in life, but just in business. And the one that I always recycle is I used to work for a guy who literally would travel halfway around the world to sit in a meeting for three hours and then come all the way back. And he would say to us, the reason that I do that is because if you're not there, they're not going to remember who you are. So your company, your business, your brand is going to be forgotten about if you don't show up at these things. And, and it's, you know, it's really the old adage out of sight, out of mind. And so same thing, you know, if you're not out there performing, if you're not putting your music out there, you have no you have no basis to sit there and wonder why you're not getting these opportunities. It's because you're not putting yourself out there and everyone has forgotten who you are. Absolutely. And and building on that, I'd love to talk even more about taking advantage of opportunities, uh, specifically in the realm of booking gigs. You know, tap into that part of your background a little bit. If an artist approached you and said that they were having trouble finding good gigs for themselves to perform at, like, oh, my music is great, I just can't find you know places to perform... In your experience, what are usually the most likely reasons that they're having trouble and what can those artists usually do to improve their prospects? Well, for openers, uh, you know, I would tell them, welcome to the world of music. You know, everybody's <laughs> having everybody's having trouble getting gigs. So so I think in some cases, you know, even though it sounds a little tongue in cheek, it is also, hey, cut yourself a little bit of a break. You know, d don't be so hard on yourself because it really is difficult to book. Um, so that being said, you know, I would ask the person, take a step back and look and see what is your approach. For instance, are you only sending emails? Because if you are, 
maybe you should pick up the phone and, and call these places. Maybe you should walk in and visit the places, assuming that you're trying to get booked at local places. Another thing is look at the types of places that you're trying to get booked at, because if you play rock and roll and you're trying to get booked in a jazz club, I think I have a good I think I have a good idea why they're not booking you. You know, so it's also being realistic. And and some of it, Ryan, is is you know a, a good old dosage of humble pie. You know, if if you're just eager to get out there, well, you know, maybe you have to take a booking at a venue that's a little bit quote unquote below you. Um, just to say, you know what, if it's a difference between sitting at home and watching reruns of Law and Order versus at least I'm out playing somewhere, because again, get back to that list that I just ticked off a few minutes ago of the different benefits of getting yourself out there. So no, you probably don't want to be playing at insert venue here on this particular night. You never know who you might meet. And really, you know, there's some things that you can do in the, in the world of booking that Maybe you're maybe you're trying to play at the same places all the time and you haven't really broadened your scope to see what else is out there. And and by that, I also mean maybe look out a little bit further. If you're looking in the same 20-mile radius, maybe it's time to start going 30 miles out or 40 miles out and try to build that following up. If you can make a good case to these venues that, look, I've got a following, look at my social media numbers and make sure those social media numbers are legit and that you didn't purchase them. Well, maybe you can start building your following a little further than just outside that 20-mile radius that you've gotten a little too comfortable in. And the other thing, too, is, is you know, are the people calling you back and, and, and emailing you back or, or talking to you in person, and are you getting a lot of no's? In that case, you know, find out why you're getting a no. Just Just be polite and ask them, um, you know, and, and they'll tell you that they don't have the budget that you're looking for uh, or that it's not their their type of music or, or you, you know, your type of crowd. They'll tell you a lot of things that will help you react accordingly so that your booking habits can change. And then you can start getting I don't want to overstate it and say more yeses, but uh, certainly you'll start to figure out what you need to change in the way that you're approaching this, that hopefully you can have more success. All right. Uh Fantastic advice. Uh, and when the artist gets that gig and they're out there performing, you've uh, talked a lot about the value of being engaging in your live show and you know creating something memorable. And so, given the importance of that, what artists? Well, sorry, what mistakes do you see artists making most often when they're performing in gigs in terms of promoting themselves effectively during the show and being engaging so that they get invited back? Oh boy, your podcast is not long enough for me to get into this. And, and, and you know, I really don't like to be a, a negative Nancy, but sometimes I feel as though giving people tips, sometimes I feel that the way that I'm most effective doing that is I tell people, here are things that people are doing wrong, which implies do the opposite and that's the right thing to do. So, you know, if you go up on stage and you just sit on a stool and sing your songs and play your guitar, you know, how how inviting is that to the audience? There's not going to be a lot of energy in your performance because you're sitting. And some people will say, well, it's a three-hour gig, man. you got to let me sit. Really? I mean, look at Bruce Springsteen, who's been out there for years at at a much advanced, much more advanced age than some of these people who are complaining about. And he's putting on a four-hour show, standing up, walking around. Um, and granted, you know, he's getting paid a lot of money and it's arena show and it's a different thing, but no, it's not a different thing because you have to be up there. And there's, there's a guy in Nashville who is just a master at doing this. He will literally start one table at a time. Now, mind you, he goes in early, he meets some of the people in advance and he will start from the stage talking to that person at the table in the back and saying, isn't that right, Fred? I know that, that, that we're talking about you in this song. Ha ha ha. Now Fred gets the table next to him involved. And this guy from the stage just builds the audience one table at a time. And so then while you have their attention, you don't want to beat them over the head and promote, 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 promote. However, if you just take your break and expect people to walk up to you and then you say, OK, then I'll tell them about my new CD or then I'll tell them about my Kickstarter campaign. Well, now you're going on a wing and a prayer. So you've got to find that balance and just let people know. By the way, if you like my music, I've got flyers over here. You know, tell people, and, and this sounds old-fashioned, but tell people I've got a newsletter sign-up over here. That way you capture people's email addresses. Yes, there's other creative, more advanced ways to do it in this day and age of apps and technology and smartphones. But the fact of the matter is you do have a quote-unquote captive audience there. Don't be up on stage 
drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette, whatever, you know, all these things are just going to turn people off. You have to give them every reason to want to turn their attention away from the person they're sitting next to, away from their drink, away from their phone and (laughs) and put their attention on the stage. Well, I want to stay in this area because I I do agree with you. You could probably, you know, fill a lot of time talking about this. So I'm going to give you kind of a similar question and uh, show some love to your blog. Uh, you wrote an article on the on the blog on your Now Hear This website, and you talked about how the final game of the Stanley Cup Finals this past year actually provides a valuable lesson for musicians when they're closing up a show. Uh, what lesson would that be? So when I was watching the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Cup in Nashville, I was really turned off because we had heard throughout the Stanley Cup Finals how terrific Music City had become as far as supporting their hockey team and they would show people outside watching the game. And of course the rabid fans inside the arena, even when the game was being played in Pittsburgh and here they are the final game, what would be the final game Pittsburgh wins. The fans in Nashville are throwing debris on the ice. They're they're What looked to me like staying after the game has ended just so they could boo Pittsburgh. I even saw something come over the glass directed towards a Pittsburgh player who used to play for Nashville. And I thought, see, now my takeaway from that is that the Nashville fans are sore losers. So I'm looking at that and all the goodwill that was done throughout the entire playoff season for Nashville has been undone by that final game. So my final opinion of them is, wow, they're not very good fans. And so if someone's out watching you perform for three hours and then those in those last 10 or 15 minutes, now it's maybe 12 midnight. So some of the people in the crowd have had something to drink. Maybe somebody yells out an insult or someone, you know, yells out, play Freebird for, you know, the ninth <laughs> time that night. And you finally lose it and tell them, why don't you get up here and play Freebird? I'm up here busting my ass for the last three hours. And, you know, all of a sudden this performance has been totally undone. All the good that you've done over those couple of hours People are going to remember the next day and they're going to be telling somebody, boy, I went to such and such a location last night. This person was performing. Wow, you should have seen what happened at the end. So never do they talk about what a great voice or what great songs or what a great set list. All of a sudden, it's just those final moments that they remember. So I say, you know, the old save your best for last. I mean, if you've got a song that, you know, brings the house down close with that song. If you've got us and and that could be something very, very emotional. You know, I I'd said in that blog and I've said this before, you never know who might be in the crowd just in terms of attendees, never mind somebody who's going to do something for you, but there might be somebody in the crowd who's going through something very emotional in their life, good or bad. And just the right song might be what they really need to hear. And as much as you might get bored playing that same song, show after show after show, you can't just go through the motions because that might be the one that is going to bring a tear to their eye. And yeah, maybe have them approach the stage afterwards. And even if it's just a hug or the hard, the most heartfelt thank you you've gotten in a while, it's really going to be worth it. And it's going to reinvigorate you the next time you play that song. So you can't just put it on autopilot. And like I said, especially at the end of your show, just decide, oh, I'm done. This person's been on me all night. I'm going to give it to them and then I'm going to play my last song and I'm out of here. And, and you're really demonstrative in a bad way. Um, that's, you know, that, that, that I was, like I said, I was so moved um, by that Nashville situation that, that that's exactly what it made me think of music wise. And you're saying the musicians probably shouldn't throw any catfish on the floor either. Uh, maybe an octopus once in a blue moon, ah, but <laughs> well, those are, know, those are the musicians in Detroit. <laughs> well, we're, we're, well, we're, we're, we're down in uh, Miami, Florida here at the podcast. So we're completely okay with you throwing rats. Uh, that's all. <laughs> okay. Um, you have an ebook series out now, uh, the Bruce's bonus book that provides practical tips for aspiring entertainers. Can you tell the folks a bit about that and where they can find it? Yeah. So if you go to Bruce's bonus it's a three volume series And volume one is just my own tips, but in volumes two and three, I decided to also incorporate, uh, as best as I could, a tip from a guest from an episode of my podcast. In some cases, um, you know, the, the, the two may have something to do with each other, but it's probably just a coincidence. But, you know, I, I, I know that musicians are constantly investing in equipment in their career, which is great. 
but I also think it's important to invest in knowledge and invest in tools, resources, because obviously you're not going to go sit in some continuing education class. Uh, and so to me, this is a good way for musicians to pick up. There's 40 in, in each volume. So through the throughout the series, you've got 120 tips there. And this is very easy reading. These are ebooks, so you just download it to your device and have them at your fingertips all the time to refer back to. And you know, Ryan, I don't, I'm not afraid to stand up in front of a room and say, some of this stuff may seem like common sense, but do a self audit. If I'm saying something that you say, no kidding, well, look in the mirror and say, then why am I not doing it? So <laughs> I have put a lot of work into these tips to make them, you know, not really super obvious things, but some of them that are, I think are just quite frankly, cases of where people need a reminder of these things that, you know, the, the story I always like to tell is the guy who contacted me and wanted to see if I could work with them. And I looked, they had a website and a Facebook and on neither the website nor the Facebook, did they have any audio or any video? Oh my God. And I thought, At all? I thought you know, I asked him, how in the world do you expect any place to book you if they can't see what your band looks like when you perform or hear what you sound like? And he said, well, you just tell them that we're a bunch of guys that are in our 50s. We've been doing this for 20 years, so we're good. And I thought, no, it doesn't work that way. That can be the so, press kit, know, just that on a, like an eight and a half by 11 piece of white paper. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Trust so, us. you know, like I say, the common sense stuff sometimes gets overlooked, you know, of, of something as simple and, and, and fundamental as having audio and video on your website and your Facebook, not to mention the fact that all they had was a website and a Facebook, you know, where's your YouTube channel? Where's your Twitter? Where's your Instagram? Where's your reverb nation? Right. Um, and you can catch that at Bruce's bonus uh, Lots of great information from Bruce Warzniak on uh, uh, many platforms. Uh, NHTE.net, uh, now dash here dash this dot uh, net. Uh, you can also follow him on Instagram.com slash now here this entertainment, Facebook.com slash now here this inc, Twitter.com. He's at underscore NHT underscore, or sorry, at NHT underscore tweets. And he's got a YouTube page because, of course, video is important. Uh, YouTube.com slash watch NHT. Um, before we let you go, Bruce, this has been a pleasure having you. Uh, we want more of your informativeness uh, on subsequent episodes, so please don't be a stranger. But do you have any last tips to share with the artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, let me just uh, first, Ryan, thank you for having me on. And, and I also want to make this real easy on your listeners. Um, never mind the dashes. If you go to nowhearthis.biz, that will take you to the same place as the URL that Ryan is talking about that has hyphens in it. Fantastic. So just go to nowhearthis.biz, <laughs> and that's spelled H-E-A-R. And then uh, there's the podcast page there. There's the Bruce's Bonus Book Series. Uh, and so then as far as tips... Outside of what I've given here, outside of what's in the bonus book series, I do write a blog on the nowhearthis.biz website every Monday, and that's just, it's all about tips, uh, because, you know, there's things that constantly go on everywhere, and, and really, you know, just, just get out and see other people perform. Look at what your contemporaries, your colleagues are doing. Don't consider them your competition, because they, unfortunately, there's become such a spirit of competition instead of collaboration, those two words that start with C-O. And you can really learn a lot from one another. Look at these other people with an inquisitive eye, not with a critical eye. Don't look at them for criticisms. And again, when you hear me giving out tips of things not to do, I'm not criticizing people. I'm trying to give out tips in a way that is learn from these things, do the opposite of these observations that I'm seeing so that you can be, because to me, Ryan, the, the, the one tip I'll leave your listeners with is that it's all about image and you really do only have one chance to make a good first impression on someone. So really make sure all of your stuff is polished, professional, first class, and, and that you give everyone a great image of yourself so that they will want to do more business with you, whether it's buy more music from you, book you for more shows, put you into some sort of a, a good opportunity for your performance career. Just really look at, at, at your image, everything down to what do your business cards look like? Do you have a, a branded URL instead of an at Gmail or an at Yahoo or an at et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just really focus on your image so that you always strive to do everything first class. You're the best, Bruce. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. 
Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Bruce Wozniak for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out his podcast, blog, and promotional services at now-here-this.net. And do not forget to grab a copy of his Bruce's Bonus Book ebook by visiting Bruce's Bonus Book, all one word, dot com. All right, let's talk a little bit about this Gene Simmons Devil Horns trademark registration thing because I've gotten a few emails and tweets about it. People have been asking our show all these, you know, people are y'all going nuts about this Gene Simmons thing. Can Gene Simmons do that? Can he trademark the devil horns hand gesture? Does that mean I can't do the devil horns thing anymore? Y'all got questions. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this Gene Simmons devil horns thing. And maybe along the way, we can discuss a few things about trademarks that might help you in your own music career. So we'll get some education out of this too. Let me break this down for you. Let me explain what happened briefly for those of you who have not been following this story. Gene Simmons has a, is attempting to register a trademark in the Devil Horns rock and roll logo. You know, it, it's basically the I love you in sign language. You got the pinky up, the index finger up, and the thumb up with the two ring and the middle finger you know, down towards the palm. Just look up devil horns, hand gesture, people. I shouldn't have, I, it's too hard to walk you through this through audio. It's, it gives rise to visual explanation, but he's trying to register a trademark in that hand gesture for his music career, you know, sound recordings, live performances, things like that. And so people are upset because they're like, well, you can't own that man. That, that belongs, that's rock and roll. That belongs to everybody. And so people have been asking, can Gene Simmons trademark the rock and roll devil hand gesture? First off, let's just get this out and understood right from the get go, right from jump street. It warrants noting that what he is doing is not actually trademarking anything. Despite the fact that you keep seeing that news headline everywhere, oh, Gene Simmons is trademarking the devil horns, he's trademarking this, he's trademarking that. It's not the first time the news media has gotten something wrong with regard to IP law, specifically trademark law. They mess this stuff up all the time. So let me explain what he's actually doing. What he's instead attempting to do is not registering a trademark, or sorry, he's not trying to trademark something. He's trying to get formal government registration of a trademark that he is purporting to already own. And that trademark would be the hand gesture for his music enterprise. So let me walk through what that means. Okay. Basically you, any person has trademark rights in something, any person or company has trademark rights in a name or a logo or something of that nature from the moment that they start using the mark in commerce, even if you don't do anything with the government. So for example, you know, I have this break the business book and this break the business podcast and whether or not I would do any government registration, you, when you think break the business, you think of the stuff that we do. And so that trademark already exists ostensibly, whether or not I actually go out there and start, you know, registering stuff with the government. If you started a lemonade stand and called it, you know, lucky lemons lemonade, assuming nobody else owns that you would have some trademark rights to that before you register anything with the government. All right. You already have it. So if you were a musician and you have a name for your, you know, a unique name for your band or you as an artist, and you go out and you're playing gigs with that band, you have a trademark that exists. But even though you have your rights in that trademark from the moment you start using it in commerce, assuming it's a valid mark, assuming that it meets all the legal requirements, um, there are still good reasons why a person might want to register that trademark with the government as Gene Simmons is trying to do, such as the fact that it gives your trademark nationwide protection as opposed to just protection in the geographic area where you actually use your mark. If you don't register, you only have trademark protection in the areas where you are actually using the mark. So if you're kind of a regional band and you're only playing in your city and nobody really knows you outside your city and you're not doing anything outside of the city, 
and you're not using that mark outside of the city and you don't register, your trademark rights might only extend to that area. Whereas if you register with the government, you get nationwide protection. And there are other legal reasons why it's useful to register. And so it can generally be a good thing to do. So what Gene Simmons is doing here is he's saying, this devil horns trademark is mine. I already own it. When people think of these devil horns, they think of my music products and my music services and what I do in music. And so now I'm just getting the formal registration. I'm, you know, I'm just formalizing it. And so now you, it probably gives rise to this question on your part. Okay, fine. So can Gene, okay. So Gene Simmons isn't trademarking the devil horns. He's registering, but can Gene Simmons actually register that trademark in the devil horns? That's a much tougher question. And it's an interesting one. And I will say this for Gene Simmons. He's going to have to overcome a couple obstacles if he wants to get this registration. First, others will likely be opposing that registration, saying that he doesn't own this mark, that others, in fact, have used this mark before him, and that this devil horns gesture is so common in music that nobody really owns it. And he may have to prove, and, and, and furthermore, He's going to have to prove what's known as, or I should say he's likely to have to prove what's known as secondary meaning in that he'll have to demonstrate that when the music community, that when consumers think of those devil horns, they think of Gene Simmons. And is that necessarily the case? I don't know. I mean, when I think of the devil horns, I think of a lot of rock stars. I think of Gene Simmons, but I think of Metallica. I think of Ronnie James Dio, who certainly used those gestures a lot. Hell, I think of the Beatles, who once used that hand gesture on an album cover well before Gene Simmons was even making music back in the 60s. So it's a tricky question. And if we assume that Gene actually does own this mark, he's going to have to start enforcing it. And good luck with that, because those devil horns are so pervasive in rock. You see them at every rock concert. You see them everywhere that his ownership rights might become in trouble. It could be a precarious situation simply because there's so many people using these horns for one entertainment business thing or another that the mark might deem be a, be deemed abandoned by Gene Simmons. So it's an interesting issue. And I do think the road ahead for Gene is not going to be an easy one if he continues to pursue this registration path. But hey, the silver lining, and here's why I like this story. I don't really care if Gene Simmons gets this registration or not. Why I am interested in this story and why I like this story is that this story is getting musicians talking about trademarks. As an entertainment lawyer, that makes me happy. I'm hearing potential clients and musicians are asking me trademark questions. They're interested, oh, should I get my trademark registered? Do I have a trademark? It's getting musicians talking about something that's very important to their career, which is their brand. So that makes me happy. And so hopefully this Gene Simmons saga is getting you thinking about your own trademarks. Do you have a unique artist name? Then it might be a good time to get that name registered. Or if you have a logo, get that registered to protect your brand, to give it that full nationwide protection for your trademark. And unlike copyright registration, which we've talked about on this show before and how it's an easy process and it's cheap, trademark registration is a little expensive. It runs you about... $225, I believe, per goods and services category that you want your registration in. So when you get a trademark, you don't just get that trademark for every industry. So if you're, if you're trademarking, I don't know, we'll call it, we'll, you know, super happy, fun music, whatever you're calling your whatever, you don't get that super happy name or logo in every industry. You know, somebody could still theoretically use that name and logo in uh, something unrelated to music, like auto insurance or something like that. And so you get your registration in a particular goods and services category. And each of those categories that you want to get your brand in is going to cost you $225 per, per goods and services class, assuming that you're already using the mark in commerce, which you have to be able to do or to actually be able to get a formal trademark registration. So the goods and services classes that you might want to look into, recorded music or live performances, those are two different classes uh, that you can get a registration for that you're likely already using your mark for. And in addition to that 225 per category, you're also going to incur some legal fees. Look, trademark registration can get tricky. It's a little tougher than copyright, and you're going to need a lawyer to help you, particularly one who can do a trademark search and make sure that nobody's out, nobody out there is using that name, that they may have rights to that name that are superior to your rights. It's not an inexpensive proposition. 
But once you have the means to do it, it is a truly valuable investment to protect your brand. And your brand is your most important asset. So it's worth protecting if you have the means to do it. And getting that nationwide protection of copyright registration is critical. And yeah, you got to hire a lawyer for it. But if you shop around, you find somebody good, you can keep it from breaking the bank. And it's critical. You're talking about your music career here. So I'm glad this Gene Simmons story happened because it's getting musicians talking about trademark, which is a very important topic for your career. Our thanks to Bruce Wozniak for joining us this week. Thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We will see you next week, folks. Uh-huh.